Welcome to our podcast called Cafeteria. We are Lara, Miguel, and Kai, and we talk about developer life, tech, games, and other things. We continue today with our mini-series on public speaking. In this episode, we are going to be sharing our tips for writing conference proposals, also known as abstracts. In the two previous episodes, we talk about how we got started in public speaking and how conferences select uh, speakers. If you are new to our podcast, we recommend you to take a look at them. Hello, Kai. Hello, Miguel. How are you doing today? I'm fine. Good morning. Hello there. Good evening, Kai. Thank you. <laughs> so... I say we can start talking about the the format of the proposal of the abstract and then we we can dis dissect the format and go spe into specifics. Okay, that sounds yeah. good. So, um when it comes to proposals from what the our experience, would you say that conferences want or are expecting always the same type of abstract? Do they always want the the same type of abstract? Are there any differences between conferences? Yeah, I think there are. And that ties into what we talked about in the last episode, you know, like the the systems conferences use sometimes to accept submissions. But it also depends on the community and probably the person who wrote the call for papers and the committee of people selecting talks. You know, I mean, everyone has different expectations and they would hopefully word the call for papers along these expectations. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, for example, the, uh, the software depends a lot. No, for example, if they are using paper call, you will have to introduce a little um, abstract, let's say, a, a, like a two-sentence thing, and then the full abstract after that. And I know from, from some communities, for example, that they require you to add links, they require you to add um, nice formatting, for example, to your proposal, and other communities, they don't require to do that, and they ask you to be as anonymous as possible. So I think it makes a lot of sense to know that, and to before even you start at the actual call for papers and see what they are asking to you. And I think it's, um, it's important to know that and it's important. And if you don't find the answers that you're looking for, always look for previous years and, and look what they selected previous years. And you can have an idea of the type of abstract that they need. That's a very good tip, actually. Yeah, sorry. I also find it like really interesting to look at different call for papers requirements because what I find is like that if for example an event is very unspecific about what they want you know if it's the equivalent of like hey we're running a conference send us a talk yeah. that tells you quite a little bit as well right and I'm leave that open to everyone for their own interpretation but for me that would be a red flag probably personally hmm. That's yes. From my experience, in general, what uh, the abstracts I had 
I had to write were basically composed by a title and then some text explaining the talk briefly. So perhaps we can go into how to actually write that. Um, for example, for the title, I I always think it's the I should have a really catchy title so people will come to my talk. And that's the first thing I want to write. Like I want to come up with a title even before having the talk. But I'd say that you should not do that. Don't focus on the title. The title will come for sure at some point. But do you have any sort of way to come up with a title? What do you expect from a title? I like to be super specific with the titles. I don't like to to be to try to be funny or to make something very abstract, but instead I try to be I try to make something that is um, very specific to what I'm going to be talking about because then people will only see that the the, abs- the the title when they see the schedule, no? They will not read the abstract. And and let's say if I'm going to talk about accessibility in Flutter, I'm probably going to name my talk accessibility in flutter and maybe i will add some some sub sub subtitle to it but that's going to be my my talk name most likely i think you want to be to the point if that's the best description yeah. right i mean you mm-hmm. want to be to the point of what your talk is about and then sometimes a little bit of catchiness can help but usually that comes further down the track from my point of view. And mm. Lara, you're totally right. Like, I mean, you the feeling is you have to start with a title quite often, but that is not necessarily correct. You have to start with an idea and maybe you have a working title, something like, I don't know, Accessibility in Flutter 101 or something like that, for example. But that working title might quite likely change at some point or you might become more specific, or you might be, go for a more catchy version of that or something like that. Talking about catchy, are there any th- things that you will not recommend people to add in the titles? Anything related to politics or religion or rudeness in general, I would say. Yeah. Some examples of that is, for example, using make something something great again and we have seen oh, God, people yeah. using that in abstracts or saying for example something something matters like performance matters something like this don't even think about using that i also have seen titles with swearing words or violence and titles like what the f is blah So I want to chime in on that from one point of view, right? I know like the F word is considered rude in a lot of places. And Mm -hmm. it is. I mean, let's not debate about that, right? But there are cultural subtleties um, where maybe not the F word, but other terms are acceptable in, I don't know, let's say in the UK versus the US or in Australia versus the US. Mm -hmm. And from my experience, at least, I find that pitching a talk or even doing your talk in the US 
that's where the most sensitivities lie. For better or worse, you know, I don't want to judge that. But in the US, it would be highly inappropriate to use any swear word in your talk. Hmm. Whereas in Australia, you might get away with quite a few other things and, you know, where people just have a laugh, you know, for example. Yes, yes. Well, it's the same as uh, if you're recording a podcast, for example, we say we swear a little bit in our podcast and, and in some places that will be totally inappropriate, I think. Yeah, very true. Very yeah, true. but, but that, that's fine. You know, yeah. the podcast is our outlet. We can do whatever we want. Here. Yes. Um, at a conference, you are obviously in a little bit of a different environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, another thing is try to be positive. I think that it's important to have a right attitude. So don't don't focus your talk about talking negatively about something. But if you want to talk about positively about something, do that instead of talking negatively about something else. And and don't come with ideas like why this library is shit, why well, you should stop using blah. Um that doesn't help. Oh, you or you mean like why this library is not really dependency injection? <laughs> yeah, something like this. Or why you should stop using this library? Well, yeah, yeah. That, that's not helpful. Sorry. That's very true. I personally like to keep things simple. And just when, when I see uh, different talks and I have to decide which one I want to see, I want to... I won't pick anything that is unrespectful. Um, I'd rather just not go to the talk. Um, and uh, in general, I want, I like to keep it simple. And I, and that means, for example, that I like things named as uh, introduction to blah or um, um, under composed for beginners, let's say. You know, I don't need, uh, a very fancy title to to get excited about the talk and, and decide to go there. Um, in general, I, I, I like to keep things simple, but that's my my personal preference. Is that easier for topics that are very technology-focused? And the reason why I'm asking that is when you think about a talk, you know, about a library or about some framework or some new Android version or something like that, it is very much to a specific point. It's mm -hmm. about this library, let's say. But there are other talks, like you know what we like to call as like core talks or core topics. And you probably find that these kind of talks that talk about, I don't know, empathy, social skills, communication, and stuff like that, they use they, they usually have like titles that are a bit more i don't know like um or less to the point is probably the word i'm looking for you know yeah, because it's, they are complex. because it's more about storytelling mm -hmm. yeah it makes sense um those are very complex topics to be honest yeah it's not as, as straightforward as a technology right um so yeah i i, I can see that i can see that yeah, but it's difficult to to discuss it without having examples or thinking of examples. I know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So by now we have our title, we have some guidelines for the title, and we want to start writing our abstract. 
What are the general guidelines for writing abstracts, you will say? The, the thing that you need to check first is what's going to be the maximum length that you can submit an abstract, and that's going to be a hard requirement for you. Um, generally, you don't want your abstract to be too long anyways, or also, also too short. That can also be, be bad for you. And uh, again, it's good to check with the conference what is what they are expecting. Some conferences will be as specific as saying, we want you to write three paragraphs or we want you to write two paragraphs only. Or, or even some conferences will tell you, no, no, we want something super long. So I think it's, it's again, is the most important part is to always check with them before you start. Or alternatively, look into the submission system they are using because you might just see when you start filling in the form that the abstract field has a limit of whatever 800 characters or something like that and then you know what you're dealing with yes. right away and um we discussed in the previous episode about uh, conference uh, software where um, you can submit your proposals and sometimes the formatting are not um um i guess imported in in uh, in the right way would you say there are are there any guidelines around that like um is it better to for example write uh, the the key takeaways uh of your your talk in in bullet points or would you rather say that it's preferable to have like a abstract in in form of a story It's hard to find like, or to give you like a, you know, general answer for that, I think. The the problem with formatting is definitely existing. And from my personal opinion, or from my personal approach, I try to stick to simple plain text whenever I can. And the maximum I might do is bullet points, but I definitely don't use Markdown or any other formatting. And what I find is that if you have your talk idea kind of finalized, you can usually split it into, I don't know, two, three paragraphs of text. And that doesn't have to be like a story or a complex story, but you can, you know, like use phrases like, this talk will be about that. We'll start with discussing topic A, B, and C. And after that, we will hopefully, you know, get to topic D. And finally, everyone will have learned all these awesome things. You know, you can actually write a, just a nice little paragraph. And that should, in most mm. cases, do from my point yes. of view. Yes, yes. Um, the thing with bullet points, um, as we commented in the previous episode, it depends also on how the, the abstract is going to be then extracted and presented, both to the attendees and to the people who are going to be reviewing the talks. So it could be that in the website, for example, they use some sort of template that um, misses or removes the formatting of the abstract, or maybe when they print it, or maybe when the talk is being reviewed by the committee. So um, that's why I prefer to avoid any sort of formatting, except if they are explicit that they expect you to provide links, for example, or something like that. I try to avoid it always because this kind of this kind of things happen more than what we think other things to avoid i'd say is 
um, anything that it's not talking exactly about uh, what's your talk. For example, if you are going to talk about, I don't know, flatter accessibility in your talk, that's the topic. I don't need you to explain in the abstract that you have been working 10 years in tech in some areas and you are working now for this company. I will avoid anything that is not necessarily related to the topic. What do you think? At least that's what we discussed when um, we were um, talking about uh, selecting speakers uh, from the conference point of view. And that was one of the things I, I really don't like from abstracts, that I don't consider part of the abstract. I think it depends. Um, in general, that's totally true because it's very easy to fall into a self-promotion situation if you do that. There are exceptions though, right? Like for example, going with this accessibility talk, let's say I was doing a talk about accessibility issues around visual and eyesight. Mm -hmm. And I might add into my talk that I'm colorblind, for example, because that might be important context for the talk. And I think that's fair to put in the abstract. You might start with like, you know, accessibility in Flutter is a really important thing, but I've learned that myself because I've, I'm, you know, I'm colorblind. I have a red green um, eyesight issues. And um, that's why I want to give that talk or that's why I feel this topic is particularly important. That's kind of the level of personal information and talking about yourself I feel is okay in abstract. But you're totally right. Like, I mean, no one's interested about your work history of the last 10, 10 years and what you're doing now and what startup you might or might not have just found founded in an abstract of a talk. Mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think it, it depends if you're telling a story and that's important for the story. So, for example, if you are, if another example is if you are giving a talk about scalability and then you say, oh, in my company, we had this problem and we solve it by doing this. And in this talk, I'm going to explain to you how to do it. Of course, it's, it's fine if you say that you work at that company and that you work on that project. But I think it's, it's more about the story that you want to tell than the yourself. True. Yeah. I guess, um, Part of the, the problem I see is that when people mention big names in, in the abstracts, feels like they, they have been chosen, perhaps because of the big names, right? And it feels like, it feels like there could be some disadvantage, uh, disadvantage um, towards the rest of the people that don't work for big names and yeah it's it's a hint um if you see it like this so that can contribute to towards some bias and for me avoiding the names names or any kind of information goes towards an unbiased abstract and unbiased situation yes i i can see that yeah. now i can see that now even if you are telling a story it's, it's different to say 
how we solved our our scalability problems than saying how we at Netflix solved our scalability mm-hmm. problems. No, um, <clears throat> yeah, you can you can play with that, I think, and and maybe at some point the it could be possible that the call for papers the committee will clean that up, or they will anonymize that when before reviewing. Um, maybe because we saw that also, like they re- removed the, the company name, for example, and they say it's a thousand employee company to be, it's a big company, no? Mm-hmm. So, um, and that can help, but yeah, I agree with you, no? And it's, there is a level, no, in which it, you notice that you are actually putting names here. Yeah. I just wanted to mention like another thing to avoid in an abstract is to, write something up for the selection process and then talk about something else that should be obvious that you don't want to do that. But just to make that very, very clear, you know, the talk and the idea you pitch and that gets hopefully accepted, that should be the thing you talk about because that's what people expect you to talk about and why you've been selected. Yes, we can agree uh, on that and that we expect you to write in the abstract, what you're going to talk about. And yeah, don't lie. Don't lie. <laughs> We've been together in, in, in some talks where, not actually lying, but where in the abstract, it was phrased in a way that we thought the topic was going um, gonna to be um, presented in, in, in some way. And turns out that well um the the talk was not exactly what we had expected what we we were expecting so uh, yeah try to be as concise as possible i guess yeah and yeah. keep it real there's there's always room for change i mean maybe you commented in your in your abstract that you're going to be talking about one five different things and then when you're preparing your talk you realize that you have too many too, too much content and you need to get rid of one of those things that that's fine i think that's fine and and even if someone comes to you and say oh i was expecting you to talk about this you you can explain this you can apologize and and i think it's perfectly fine um yeah but the the other thing is that you say we're going to be talking about this topic and then you start talking about your company and and, and about hiring people for your company and it's like hey i i didn't come to this talk to 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 hear about your company to sell your book or something absolutely <laughs> and i think yeah change is fine you, i totally agree with you you know you might run into an issue that you want to talk about a specific version of a library for example and then like, you know, three weeks before you talk, that library gets updated to a new major release and you <laughs> might have to make a decision. What do you want to do? You know, stick with the actual talk description or go with what is now the thing that's out there, for example. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good example. Yeah. I also saw that happening to a colleague of mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Going into more specifics on how to write the abstract itself, I know Mika has a formula for that, which I personally use as well. Like I think it's a really a good one, and I would like Mikael to explain what mm. are those. 
What, yeah. What's that formula? So I, I have to say that this formula is not fully mine. I This is something that I learned from other people, from other like talks that tell you how to write abstracts and so. And, and I took ideas from different places, so I put it together. And now every time I need to write an abstract, I just use this formula. And they write themselves alone, kind of. It's... Um, it's once you start thinking in this structure, it's um, not so complicated or not not so. Um, it's I'm not so afraid to start writing an abstract in this case. So what I use is a three paragraph formula, and in the first one I introduce a problem or an idea, then a second paragraph in which I talk about the content of the talk, like the actual content of what I'm going to be going to be talking about, and finally I give uh, key takeaways, kind of explaining or telling the attendee what they are going to bring back home. So in the introduction, I usually present an issue or idea. Now, I try to identify with the reader, with the, with the attendee or with the person who is um, reviewing this talk. And also I try to catch their attention a little bit. No, and, and I have an example here from the accessibility talk that I was talking before. And it, it goes like this. Um, reaching a larger audience with your apps is not just about targeting as many platforms as possible, but also about making them accessible for everyone, including those with temporal or permanent disabilities. Native app platforms already provide accessibility mechanisms, and thankfully, Flutter does too. So here I present an issue. I present, I'm, I'm saying that you want to reach larger audiences. And I also present another issue, which is that, well, um, you already know that native platforms support this. But the question is, does Flutter support this? Yes or no? So I try to get this idea into, into the readers. And, and the point is that, well, we want to enable accessibility in Flutter. So let's see how we can do that. So this is uh, Andy's introduction. Um, basically, you present the, the issue or idea, plus you try to catch the attention of the people. Yes, a little readers. bit, yeah. I don't go mm -hmm. too much technical, but it's more presenting a problem. I don't want to talk about solutions yet. I just want to say, hey, well, here's the thing, right? And if you're... if. I expect that the person who is interested in, in, in listening to this talk only with um, with this first paragraph is already enough to say, okay, this is what it's a talk about and, and I want to hear more about this. How do you come up with an idea at this stage? Yeah, uh, the uh, ideas come usually earlier. So, um, and and usually what, what I see is um, if there's a need in the community to to know about something, like a lot of people um, struggle with something, I, I I automatically think that's a good idea for for a talk. For example, if if I hear from a lot of people from the community that they 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 have problems testing because testing is difficult, I always I will keep in mind that maybe having a talk about testing is good because that, that will help a lot of people. And secondly is, um, for example, accessibility is another thing, right? Um, I know that it exists and, and that it's um, it's not a lot of people know how to implement it. So um, I think it can be an interesting topic. And, and once you start doing research, you see that um, some people can benefit from that. 
So uh, that's more or less in it. I think we commented on the previous episodes um, how to come up with ideas, and it's very random kind of. So the best thing is to have a document and, and write them down. So the next time that you have a call for papers, you can go back and you can see which ideas do you have ready to submit. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. Yeah. yeah. For me, um, I don't know if I commented that, but for me, one of the, the tricks for coming up with ideas is when I'm talking to someone and they say, oh, that would be interesting to hear in a talk. And I'm like, oh, okay. Thank mm. you for the hint. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So in the second paragraph, I I I go into the the substance, no, the, the meat of the of the um of the talk, and I always try to start with in this talk, and I say in this talk, you are gonna learn about, and then I go topic, 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 topic. It's the same thing that you will write in bullet points, saying I'm gonna cover this, 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 and this, but instead of using bullet points, I write it in a single paragraph. And one thing that I do also, that I learned from from writing documentation, is that you should use you instead of we. And and that's because you get more personal with with whoever is reading it, so you say you will learn about um, how to support this thing. You will learn about this other thing or you will. Um... So instead of saying we, because you say we will learn about, but you already know, right? You, the speaker, already know about this when you're talking about this. So um, try to be, try to connect with the person by, by using you. And I, th- I know it's very weird to use you when you start doing this, but it really works. And people use that also for writing documentation when they say, um, you have to take this uh, code and you have to paste it here instead of we have to take this code and we have to paste it here. Uh, it, you connect better with the person. So um, I agree. Uh, yeah, and giving an example of this, it will be in this talk, you will learn how to prepare your Flutter app for a larger audience. You will learn how to support variable size fonts, prepare your app for screen readers, and how to be sure that your designs are accessible. As you see, I'm using you, your, you, your all the time. What I find interesting with this specifically is that I had my abstracts rewritten after being accepted into exactly that style a few times. When I wasn't using that you style and addressing the reader directly, the conference or someone at the conference would go ahead and just tweak it that it actually reads like that. And that's kind of an interesting hint, right? If a conference does that for you, it's like, oh, okay, maybe I should start doing that myself. Yes, yes, Did you get warned or was it like uh, uh, your abstract appeared to be... I, I guess it's like if there's a tiny typo and gets corrected, that's fine. No, I mean, they... They would actually do it, rewrite it, and then send me an email saying like, hey, we just, you know, changed the style of the abstract a bit for publishing it on the website and in our conference brochure or magazine or something like that. Are you okay with that? And to kind of prove it pretty much from my end. Makes sense. That's very nice from the conference, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in the third paragraph, I, I put the key takeaways. I include first, who is this talk for? No, and, and I say, for example, this talk is for people who are familiar with Flutter development. 
to be sure that you are coming here to, to listen my talk and, and you don't know anything about Flutter, you're going to be surprised. And, and, and you know that conferences usually have this, uh, confident, this level of the talk, but I think it doesn't really work to have a level of the talk. I think it's better to say actively, you need to be familiar with this technology to enjoy my talk. Or this talk is for people who have no idea about this topic and want to get introduced to it. So I think it's it's always important to have that in the abstract and it helps a lot for, it helps the reviewers and it also helps the attendees that are going to be attending. And also yeah. include some sort of takeaway what they are going to bring back home. Um, an example of this will be in this, this talk is for developers familiar with Flutter development who want to improve the accessibility of their existing apps. See, um, here I'm, I'm talking about you already have an app and you want to improve your app, not like you, you have no idea about app development and you want to start developing. No, no, you have a product and you want to improve your product. So this is not for beginners actually. And then continue. By the end of this talk, you will be able to implement accessibility support in your Flutter apps with ease. So I say, okay, after this talk, you will have no problem in, in implementing this because you already know, you will know all the important things um, for, for supporting accessibility in your apps. Yeah, I have to say that I actually like this format. I learned to how write abstract in, in this way. Um, because in the end, uh, Miguel was already um, writing abstracts for, for his own talks. And after that, uh, sometime later, I started and that he was my, my inspiration, basically. And, and the only thing I do um, try to come up when, when I have a, to write an abstract and have an idea for a talk is to, I, I ask myself, why will I attend this talk? What am I going to learn? I need to, to answer those questions myself because in the end, those are the, the questions I ask myself whenever I have to choose which talk to attend to in a conference. So I, as I said, I, I like to keep it simple and straightforward. So those are the, the main questions I need to answer for myself in the abstract. I like the approach as well um, because it provides you with a structure that later on can pretty much serve as a basis for actually writing your talk. Mm -hmm. Because you end up with like, you know, three sections and it leads you through a reasonably structured thought process to come up with that. And when you think about like, you know, actually writing your talk further down the track, you probably come up with some sort of table of contents and some sort of a structure, you know, how many slides you want to talk about this topic or the next topic, et cetera, et cetera. And that is already the starting point of that, basically, of this process. It obviously needs some, you know, additional work and fleshing out ideas you might cover in one bullet point or in one half sentence in your abstract, but it kind of goes hand in hand with further work should you be selected and actually end up writing the talk. So Kai, um, I, I said that I already follow Mikael's approach, so I don't have anything extra to add on that. Do you, you said that um, once um, conferences, um, uh, 
um, rewrote a little bit your abstract to to follow the U. Uh, but do you follow also these kind of three parts abstracts? How do you structure yours? I would not say I follow that process religiously. I think it's actually a lot of common sense to break it down into these three sections. But sometimes it might not be that I have exactly three paragraphs. You know, I might have a bit more or a bit less on one or the other areas, for example. Um, I usually come up with an idea, you know, like Miguel said, it comes from some struggle or you learn something or you have a random epiphany or you want to talk about something to totally left field, like a, you know, a mathematical problem you find amazing or whatever. And then you would try to, I would try to break down this idea into different parts. And that is roughly like, you know, describing the problem or describing the idea, explaining what will be covered and who it is, who is it interested, interesting for to, to attend this talk. And then, like I said, you know, it might be a paragraph each, might be two, three paragraphs for one of the sections, or, you know, maybe the, the bit about, who should attend is a separate question might not, not not be part of the abstract itself for certain conferences so it varies a little bit i think core topics normally are difficult probably you i don't know if i can follow this sort of um, format when you are talking about these complex topics where you might not have takeaways directly depends on, i guess on the the kind of topic and and it's, how the story goes it's probably similar for keynotes as well that would mm -hmm. cause similar issues um because i can see problems fitting a keynote talk like one of those inspirational kind of keynotes into into this kind of format that might just be, it might be, might be working in some instances, but generally that could not work that well. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, I, I can, I, I do remember the, the second keynote at Golden Conf last year where there was only a sentence. And the first thought I had was, whoa, they didn't even bother with an abstract because, you know, you are a, a speaker that is starting and struggle with abstracts and conference proposal, uh, conference proposals, and and, and etc. And um, I thought, wow, some people don't even need abstracts. But now I realize that it was more like an inspirational story, and that's all I, they needed. They only mm -hmm. basically needed to say a story about blah. Yeah, now I feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. It's it's a different type of talk, right? And that's perfectly fair yeah, if yeah. if that works as an abstract. And let's not also not let's also not forget that keynote talks quite often don't go through a normal selection process. You know, you might invite a keynote speaker and kind of work with them on the topic in a different process. And say like, hey, you know, I've seen that you've done work with this over the last years and wrote articles. Would you be willing to talk about that experience or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. 
it's it's like a trailer for a movie. It's just think that you're writing a trailer for a movie for a radio program. How you will write that? It's very different to writing an abstract. Um, you want to catch the attention and you want to hint a little bit what it's going to be about, but you don't want to spoil things. And and yep. in an abstract is different. I think you actually want to spoil things. You want to say, I'm going to be talking about this, 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 and this, no? And when you have an inspirational talk or a something like this, or a TED talk, like TID talk, something like this, um, it's different. It's definitely different. And you cannot use the same formula, I think. We discussed that in the in the abstract, we expect to, or we would like you to have only information about the talk and the key points. But the we also mentioned that the information about yourself usually goes into another part of the submission. Normally, there's a space where you can add your biography that will usually be attached in the in the conference webpage after the selection, after the, the, the talk is selected and um, published. Um, what do you recommend to add in this uh, biography? Um, I think it's it's important to to explain why you are the right person to give this talk in a way that um, <clears throat> it can help people to know that you are an, an expert on this topic. So for example, if you're going to be talking about Android, it makes sense to explain what is your relationship with Android. Say you're an Android developer, or maybe you are a mobile designer for products. Maybe say what is your experience a little bit, you know if you have been doing Android for, for many years, or you are just beginning and, and you're struggling with these specific things. And also, it, it kind of want to give the idea if attendees want to meet you and what they can expect from you, no? And, and I think um, in this case, it can help. I usually do something like um, Miguel is a freelance software developer who has been doing Android and Flutter for many years. And we, just with that, you already give an idea of the type of person. You can say things like, if you have spoken at, at conferences before, like I have been spoken at conferences for 10 years, for example, like I, you can say that. You can say also uh, hobby things also as well, like um, you love Nintendo Switch and you want to meet people who play. So uh, you, you can give hints to people to, to say why I want to listen to this person and why I want to meet this person. So what you said, I th about um, tell what makes you the right person to give this talk. I think it's the key. But uh, as well, I think that you can make it a little bit more personal by adding a little bit of um, what you like and um, which kind of people you like to, to meet. And yeah. It's a very implicit way, though, to tell the selectors or the audience why you are the right person you know you're not saying in in some way like oh i'm the right person to talk about i don't know in app billing because i've been so frustrated with it over the last six months or something like that you are kind <laughs> of saying like i'm an android developer and i've got you know x years of experience or i've been doing this and that um there is another level of like telling 
the selection people, the selection group, some more details. And that is very similar to a bio, but more specifically about your talk, I think. And quite often, conference submission forms have like a section like, you know, anything you want to tell to the committee or to the organizers. And um, I've used that in the past when I feel particularly passionate about a talk that, you know, at first glance doesn't fit the bill mm. and doesn't make sense for me. So, mm. for example, when I'm when I was pitching my mathematics for developers talk to Android makers earlier this year, they had one of those, you know, tell us some, you know, send us a private kind of private information, private message section. And I explained in more detail why I'm very passionate about this topic and why I think and how I got back into mathematics myself and why I enjoyed that and why I think it's really a cool thing for so many developers. But that was information that was really not part of the bio as such, and it wasn't part of the abstract either. So it was more like an additional explanation for the selection committee. And that can be useful as well in some instances. Be very explicit about why you think you should be selected or why your talk should be selected. Yeah, I think in your bio, you can put, for example, that you are passionate about mathematics, but that, that will be it. You cannot really yeah. go deeper than that. And um, what do you think about adding fun things to your biography? I think in general, that's okay if you don't overdo it. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in I've done that for a while. I said, like, I have three chickens and a cat or something like that. You know, mm -hmm. it's not a, not a joke as such mm. from a fun point of view, but it's a little personal anecdote kind of thing. And I think that's totally acceptable. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yulara had also Because one, I think. I think. So. That I like, uh, that if, yeah... It says something along the lines that um, when she's not attending meetups and conferences, she is. Uh, you will find her playing video games and playing with her dog, I think. <laughs> yeah. And I personally think I'm sure I'm applying to talk at a conference, mm -hmm. but I'm not changing myself for it. And if people have an issue with me having a bit of personal information in my biography, then maybe that's not the right conference for me. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yes, depends on the context of where you are applying. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's also a good so, place to promote yourself, by the way, to put something like um, if you have a podcast like us, for example, to say, oh, and, and is co-host of this podcast, or you have a website or you have a um, side project, for example, or is a, is a really, really good place to put it. Yeah. yeah. Now, I guess for, for the next talks, we can update our bios and at Code Cafeteria. Yay. <laughs> yes. So what other kind of information bits conferences will ask? I, I can think of uh, what's the level of your talk. Mm. Right. Uh, um, usually, they they ask you what's the the level of knowledge you that the audience needs to have to to watch your talk, or what's the target audience basically. Hmm. Uh, regularly, it goes uh, 
for beginners, intermediate or advanced. Um, but how do you choose that? What's, what's expected for each level? What would you say? That's very gray, right? There's no black and white for any of these categories sure, because sure. everyone has a different understanding of what that might mean. I mean, the beginner is kind of clear, right? Someone who's new to this industry has maybe not a lot of experience. And then intermediate is someone who's got a few years under their belt and might have at least general development experience in that field you're talking about. And advance is probably you need to know already all the fundamentals about a certain topic. And then this advanced talk might push you deeper into one direction. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think in conferences, you usually don't see many advanced talks. And you usually don't see many beginner talks either. You usually see pretty much all talks are intermediate. I'm, I'm honestly... If, if I was running a conference, I will probably remove this question mm. all ahead and say, it doesn't make sense to ask this because um, you, can, you can have this information in your abstract and you can be more specific about like, like the formula that I'm using no? as to say, you need to know about this because imagine that you don't know anything about accessibility, but you know a lot about Flutter, then w w where are you in this in this group? Are you a beginner or are you an intermediate? Um, so you can have many years of experience programming, but you have never done Go, for example, and you want to go to a Go talk and you go to a beginner Go talk and, and then it turns out that it's too easy for you, but you were you, you had no previous experience with Go, right? But... Um, so I, I think it's um, it's very it's, it's a kind of question that conferences could get rid of, and and nothing will happen. <laughs> I think a lot of this categorization is driven by marketing and for marketing purposes, mm. because conferences want to be able to say like, hey, we're beginner friendly, and like you know, can maybe your company X send twenty people? I know we have lots of junior developers, and look at all the beginner talks that we have. Blah 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 mm. blah. It it makes it easier to structure stuff like that if you have your talk in boxes, or if your talks in boxes. Yeah, yeah um, I I can totally understand the marketing point of view, but oh, yeah, I totally. also yeah. yeah, but I also saw myself reflected on what Mikael said that yeah depends on your experience in the end i have to read the abstract to understand whether that talk is for me mm. yeah so yeah same happens with tagging for example they ask you to to select a category for your talk and, and more times than than normal in my case our talk or my talk is not fitting any category and then i'm wondering if i should submit at all or not like I'm, I'm gonna be talking. There was this talk. Um, I'm gonna be talking about Vim for Android, no, like um, the with the plugin for Android Studio and so. And where I put this talk, and and I thought, okay, I'm gonna put this in tooling, no, more or less, because it's kind of tooling, but it's also a skill. So um, where where do I put this talk? And and then there is no category tooling. There is no category skills. There is just category. I don't know architecture, blah blah blah, no, and then. Uh, should I even submit this talk because there is no category for this talk? So, yeah, um, 
if if the organizers want to have hints for you to for for the audience to 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 know what is this talk about, no, and I say, oh, it's an architecture talk or it's an UI design talk. Um, they they should let you add the, ta- the tags by yourself, or they should create them afterwards and try to put things together more or less. But if if you have a list and the list doesn't contain what you are gonna submit, you are you're asking people to go away kind of and in that case you would actually hope that that list of categories reflects what the conference was asking for in the call for papers Mm. right because some conferences are very explicit and they say like well you can submit anything let's say android related but ideally it would be on this list of 10 really interesting topics that we want to see represented at the conference right and some events do that and then they provide like these 10 boxes they should obviously provide like an other as well in that case like a non-category thing Mm. but yeah i can again i can see how putting things into boxes helps the human mind and the human brain to deal with information overflow (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah 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 Besides tagging and uh, the level, um, I also think that um, you have to provide more information about whether you need special hardware or anything. Like, for example, when we submitted, Mikael and me, the idea of a workshop on sketchnoting, we had to say, hey, we, for this workshop, we will need paper, pens, and a camera to, or webcam to um, um, show what we are doing. And that's some kind of special need we need for, we have for, for our talk that doesn't go to any other box than just some extra random information. Yeah. Is it is the place that Kai said that you can explain why you are the right person or why you want to give this talk? It's usually this private box that you can just write and everything. Yeah. 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 Um, probably it's um, it's just a, this one box. Um, it's it's another type of information that you can give. Hmm. Or if you have a very old computer and you need a special cable for I don't know connecting, or a you VGA have a super cable. new. Uh, also laptop and and you had some issues and you want to just give a warning on that Mm, yeah also you can say if it's a new talk or if it's an old talk that you have done um i i like to do that i think that's helpful for them because in in some cases some conferences are always looking for new content um we can comment mm-hmm. if that's cool or not. But I like to say, yeah, this is a new talk that I'm preparing this year. Or you can say, um, this is a talk that I have already done and you can watch a recording here if you want to know about it. I try to be helpful. Um, I don't know if it's a good strategy from my side, but at least I try to be helpful for them. I personally don't know if I like when conferences ask you if you gave this talk before. But I, I always am honest, and but you can somehow highlight 
um, things. Like if they ask if the if your talk was is new, but it's not, and you gave it in one or two places, you can say it like, "Oh, I gave this talk in two places," and maybe highlight where because if it's in, in meetups, local meetups, for them it counts as new. So give this information, mm. right? Don't just say like, oh, I gave it twice. What else we can, we can say in this extra information? Uh, we could say, for example, if you plan on live coding and if you have any sort of backup in mind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just that would be case. a useful thing. Yeah. <laughs> that would be very helpful. Like we all life, like live coding. Well, that's very generic. I do like live coding. But I also would like to know whether there's a backup in yeah. case something goes wrong. Yeah. And we shouldn't have like a discussion on life coding and the pros and cons. But for particularly someone who gets started with public speaking, my recommendation would be don't do it in your first talk. Totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> don't. Don't, don't, don't. I, yeah. I somehow feel a bit attacked because the first big conference talk I gave was with someone else. I was a co-speaker, but we also had live coding. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember. It's, you did. It's not the same, Lara. <laughs> it's not the same. You were with someone very experienced in giving yeah, talks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, yeah. That's you were safe. True. Imagine if, if you were doing it alone, no, uh, live coding. No, don't, just don't do it. <laughs> 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 okay any other tips i would say you should get someone to prove proofread your abstract very good can. point yeah. yes 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 yeah yeah i have Typo to say that typos can have oh. a very negative impact actually uh it feels it can feel like you didn't care enough to proofread and double check your grammar or your typos in, in general. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, use a text corrector, like don't write it directly on the browser, but write it somewhere, have it um, <laughs> um, autocorrect. You can share the link to your friends and, and say, hey, can you take a look at this? I have to say that sharing abstracts with other people is really frightening at least for me, mm -hmm. um, because you don't want someone to say, why are you talking about this? Come on. Or something like this. No, you have this great idea and you, you're really afraid of negative feedback. So it's, um, I, I, I recognize that it's, um, it's difficult to do that. It's difficult to say, here I have this, this abstract and can you, can you play stick, take a look? But uh, it's, can be, it can be very helpful. It can be very helpful. Yeah, I think so too. It is hard, but... Sometimes it's brutal feedback, like, nah, this is a stupid idea. <laughs> it's really good before you progress to the next stage. <laughs> yeah, I would say that if you ha have a friend that you know will say this is this sucks, uh, just don't send the, your, your idea, your abstract to that friend. Um, always, if, if you have someone that you can trust and, and will be respectful and will help you, just totally do it. If not, there are softwares out there that can help you hmm. um, yeah. read your um, to to 
double check your abstract, your yeah. your writing. Yes. Um, some conferences will do that also, and they will announce that they have a someone helping first time submitters. And, and and we have some examples here, like Droicon London at least used to do it, and CodeCamp Wellington. You said Kai that they do that. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. that's very nice. And that's kind of nice, mm -hmm. right? Because it encourages people who haven't submitted a talk to any event to just maybe go to an evening event or an afternoon event or half a day on a weekend and get some help with their first abstract, right? And learn a few tips and get mentored in some way. Yes. Mm -hmm. I know that sometimes meetups also do that because most of the time meetups are struggling to find speakers. And so what they do also is to help people, um, propose them to help them uh, review their, their talk, their abstract and stuff. So, you know, a little bit of helping them and that will help EU. And then there are other events as well. Like there is a global diversity CFP day once a year, um, where sure. particularly first-time speakers from a diversity diversity background are really encouraged to come in for the day, um, meet in a certain location, and work on their first or a call for papers and submit a talk. And there are various people out there offering individual mentoring or help setups. I know a lady in Brisbane who's doing also workshops for first-time speakers um, with diversity backgrounds. And one of our friends has gone through one of these workshops and ended up actually doing a few conference talks, you know, by submitting better abstracts, I guess, or, you know, being more confident in how to put together an abstract and, you know, how to get started. So, you know, these kind of things... Um, exist for people who have never tried that before those are very good tips thank you for sharing we've seen that to write what we consider a good abstract we have to have some kind of structure and overall keep it real honest and very respectful go straight to the point please Thank you everyone for listening. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Code Cafeteria and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thank you so much, Kai and Miguel. Thanks, Lara, for moderating today. And it was lovely to speak to you again. Yay. Thanks a lot for listening. Thank you. See you next bye time. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye-bye.